All right. First uh, Corinthians. I'm sorry. First Corinthians chapter eleven. And let's go before the Lord in prayer here. We'll start there about verse one. Father, as we come before you this morning, we do thank you, and as we sang, Lord, we do worship you and for your goodness. And um, you know, Lord, some of those lyrics of those songs are really just the the desire of our hearts and the prayer of our hearts and the desire of our lives, Lord. And so we hold them up to you, Father. We also hold, uh, you know, Marty and the crew out there to um, uh, working at the uh, biker rally there in Hollister, Lord, that you would continue to use them and bless them uh, for the next couple of days, Lord, uh, today and tomorrow as it finishes up, Lord, just Continue to give them the boldness, Lord, and draw all those near to them that you want to share the good news with, Father, and pray for and hand them Bibles or tracts or um, whatever the case might be, Lord. Um, just continue to do that great work out there. And uh, Father, now as we turn to your word again, we ask that you'd move by your spirit in our hearts and our midst, Lord, that you might reveal to us uh, your word and what you would say to us this morning, Father, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you remember last week, we left off um, talking about uh, a person who um, uh, considers what they do and what they say and how they live and how it affects others is the mature and the important Christian view that we should all have. Uh, That has to be incorporated into our thinking and to our Christian walk. We just have to incorporate that. We really need to consider that and uh, respect that and honor that because that's the mature view of the Christian. And really the first verse um, I think really goes with the end of chapter 10 in my opinion. It says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And you know at the end, you know we spent much of chapter 9 of him telling us how he was actually um, living so that he could incorporate and draw and teach and share the gospel with the people of Corinth when he went there and how he laid down his rights and what he had, him and, uh, he and uh, Silas had coming, or him and, I'm sorry, Barnabas had coming to them and, uh, and all those things to minister to the gospel. And so he gave himself as an example. And then, of course, chapter 10, we talked even more in detail about that. Uh, and he kind of sums it up, at least in, in my opinion, is he just says, you know, you want to know what it looks like? Imitate me, because I'm imitating Jesus. I'm imitating Christ. And that's a huge, powerful statement. I, I think all of us as believers, as Christians, want to be able to say, thing, say, say, say the same thing. Um, you know, most of us, what we say is, don't look at me, look at Jesus, Right? <laughs> Uh, you know, well, you know, yes, I'm going to let you down. I'm going to fail you. I'm going to drop the ball. But, you know, it's not me you're looking to. It's, it's, it's him. But, you know, this has to be said because it's important. This was an example Paul was saying to, to them at the church. Listen, if you want to see what, you know, what the life of Christ looks like, look at my life. Look at my actions. Look at my words. And really, that's what we're, you know, really to strive towards. That's what it's really supposed to be all about. Look at me. Look at what I do. Look at what I say. Look at how I live and do that. I, um, 
again, he was saying that boldly, and I, I understand what we say that, you know, don't look at me so much, look at Jesus, but, you know, scripturally, the, the heart of the Lord is that, we, that they could look at us and they would see Jesus, they would see us, uh, you know, uh, uh, imitating or being just like Jesus in what we do and how we live and what we say. And so, again, I think that's a great bold statement and an important one to encourage us uh, to do the same. Um, again, I think we all want to strive to to do that. So, um, you know, again, we just need to remember that whether we want to be able to say that or not say that, um, you know, or kind of shy away from it because we know of our frailties and our mistakes and our sins and all these kind of stuff. But in the end, that's what people really do. We have to remember that. That's what people really do. They really are looking at us. They really are watching us. They really are observing us and seeing how we live and what we do and how we speak, right? People are watching us. Um, for, yesterday, for some reason, we put on a, a cartoon. We were watching Despicable Me and um, uh, you know, this little girl in the cartoon is riding her bike and she's trying to ride her bike and, you know, you know, without training wheels and she gets a little bit and of course she just, all the other girls are riding off and she just falls over and then, you know, as soon as she falls over, she starts kicking, <laughs> you know, the bike, like it's the bike's fault that she fell over. Of course, then the little minion guys start jumping, beating on the bike too. And then, you know, Annabelle, you know, turns her head and looks at us and says, that's just like dad. <laughs> he gets, when, uh, you know, some, it's, a, it's a thing's fault. And so again, you know, it's just how people are watching us and people are observing how we do things. And so, um, you know, it's whether we like it or not, that's the reality of it. And I'll, I'll put up here 1 Timothy 4, 12, just to remind us, uh, you know, what, what Paul would also say to those um, that the Lord was using. It says, but set an example for believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. So again, you know, we're encouraged a number of places, of course, in the scripture that we are examples and we're called to be examples. And, um, you know, how many of us could challenge people to copy us as we copy Christ? Um, a good statement and something important for us to, to remember. And again, I think it belongs with chapter 10 and probably should have included it there, but... There we go for this morning. Now, as we move out of that, and again, this could go with chapter 11 too, and obviously the, those that put the chapter breaks and the verses in there thought it belonged in chapter 11. They would disagree with me, um, and it could fit into chapter 11. I, I wouldn't argue that fact, even though those things were put in, you know, thousand plus years after the, um, the Bible was compiled there. But the next verses we have, as a matter of fact, really, um, the next six chapters, quite frankly, these, these six chapters are probably some of the most controversial and, and complex, really, in church life. Uh, they differ widely in interpretation, um, and uh, you know, people are still going back and forth with them, just as there are these original issues back in the Corinthian church at the very beginning of the church. So, you know, as we, as we dig into these next subjects here, uh, for the most part, most of them are still very, again, complex and controversial. 
And um, it's, uh, it, it, as we go through all these things, people have all kinds of widely different opinions and interpretations or, you know, they, you know, they either tend to embrace them or they, they spiritualize them and say, you know, this was this and that was that. And, you know, they have their reasons why they either, either adhere to them or ignore them. And there's really not a lot of places in the middle. And so we'll get to some very controversial and complex, really, subjects as we tackle these next uh, six chapters here, including this chapter as well. But again, they were tackling them in the very first century of the church as well. So, But this morning, we're just going to look at two of them, and I, I quite... I kind of think they're just really funny uh, subjects in one sense. It's, it's headship and hair. <laughs> really, we're going to look at headship and hair. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, the next, next week, we'll look at uh, communion, which is not so unusual and obviously good, but it's headship, you know, uh, how things run, uh, you know, and hair. It, it seems like a funny subject to talk about, but here we go. It just just goes to show us that the Lord is involved in every level and everything. And uh, as I think somebody said, um, you know, he is interested in our hair because he has already numbered them. <laughs> so he knows us very well. And he is interested in all of these things. And don't don't think he's the God who's afar off and who, you know, wound up, you know, the solar system with a big bang or whatever people want to think and then just set us on some, you know, free-falling course, and he'll meet us at the end of the road. Not so. Not true. And so, again, let's, let's dive into headship, and, and then Hare here in verse 2 says, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things, and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Um, you know, you guys, he, he's saying here, you're trying to do and keep the things I passed along to you, and what the Bible teaches, um, you know, what been the practices of Jesus and the apostles at the beginning of the church. Um, again, think of that uh, tradition. Sometimes we hear those things and, you know, we can have two reactions to that. And typically if you're, you know, in a very traditional church or a high church, you know, traditions are just, you know, the things that, I don't know, give you comfort or warmth or you just connect with them instantly, that you do certain things at certain times, you say certain things, things run at a certain way, and they do things, and, you know, you, you get into these traditions. Other of us think that, uh, we think just the opposite of that. Traditions are just, you know, we, uh, we hear the word traditions, and we think everything is just wrong. Everything's bad. Traditions are just, you know, uh, what got the Pharisees in trouble, and traditions are looked down upon so much, and we can have a very negative reaction to that. And typically, we're really on one side or the other on, on that kind of thinking. But it's important to, to understand that traditions, and again, God's traditions, God's way of doing things, and the way we've been instructed in the Word, um, are important, and we need to keep them. Now, the traditions of man, or what a church institutes, is a different story, you know, um, and sometimes a church will institute a tradition that's that's very biblical, so don't misunderstand me, but there is a lot of problems with traditions because traditions just seem to get the, a life of their own, and if it even if it has a, you know, a lot of traditions had a, probably a very good, sound, biblical base, but when time passes along through generations, somehow it gets lost what the original meaning is, and you just cling to the tradition as some sort of truth, 
when it really just is not really even a biblical truth, it's just a tradition. A tradition. And so, again, we always need to separate that between ceremonies and rituals that are just created by man, whether through a church, which is typically the case. But here, we have to understand he's talking about basic biblical teaching and doctrine. We need to stick with those things, okay? So when, you, when, he, when he says that, that's what he's talking about. How we've learned from the apostles, what Jesus showed us, those kind of things that are in the Bible and what God has taught us, those kind of teachings and, and doctrine, those traditions are important that we keep. And then he goes on in verse, uh, and he said that you're doing good at that. But, verse two, or 3 says, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So, okay, you're keeping those things, but you, you need to understand these things. And obviously there's some order in place, and there probably was some very things out of order in the Corinthian church. Uh, this is not something to argue about. This is not a debate. Um, it's just the design of our Heavenly Father. It's the design of things. And, you know, again, that's why I said these are very controversial chapters and verses as we're coming into, because... You know, some people hear that and it just, you know, I don't know, it short circuits their thinking. And it's typically women, although it can happen with guys as well. You know, wait a minute, you know, this just puts us in some kind of crazy category. Um, but it's not something to argue about. It's clearly taught in Scripture. Uh, it's a wonderful thing and it's His perfect design and His perfect will. And this is how the Lord made it. And it's not my opinion or our opinion or anybody else's opinion. It's clearly what's taught in, in the Word of God. And he'll set three examples and talk about this here in a little bit. He'll go way back from the very beginning to talk about how this is all set up. But just know this is a, you know, a, 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 a truth, not a bad truth, not putting anybody in a bad position or anything. It's just uh, the order of things. I, I like this quote. And it says this, anyone who has a quarrel with this, with the order, especially where men and women meet together on the grounds of a common salvation upon which the apostle, apostle insists, have a quarrel not with him, but with the Holy Spirit. Paul is not erring prejudice or male chauvinism in, in this passage. He is writing under the direct inspiration and illumination of the Holy Spirit who certainly knows what is best for the church he created and who makes no mistakes. So again, I just think it's impossible. Uh, it's just, it's just so important that we understand this premise. And that's why, you know, he lays this out right away. Okay, this is how things are. And again, it seems to rub people the wrong way. Some people, you know, uh, what's right, you know, it's, it's not about what society thinks or what our opinions are. You know, it's what the Word says. And the word head, by the way, just so it's clear that we all understand this, is it's just the idea of authority, right? It's just, uh, you know, they have authority over that person. Now, as we go through these verses, we need to, you know, understand that he's going to uh, describe these three relationships, right, that he just says here, right? The head of every man, you know, Jesus is the head of every man, Okay? Over, has authority over every man. Man is the head over woman, right? 
And then God, the Father, is head of Christ. Okay, so there is these, everybody has an authority, if you would, over them. So it's, it's, it's not just men and women there. I mean, that one gets stuck in everybody's craw, really, if you would. You know, they think of that. But there is also this, these roles and these places of authority with, with the Father and the Son, who we'll talk about in a little bit. You know, and, and the man is under authority too. doesn't mean he's under anything less. And so this is, you know, people just kind of focus on one thing and not think of how what it talks about. And he connects these three relationships. The principles of headship are the same among them, right? Jesus was totally under the authority of God, the Father, and yet he's equal with God, right? Again, it's essential that we understand that being under authority does not equate inferiority. That is not what it's talking about. And it's, it's sad we have to spend so much time, really, I feel like you do, have to spend so much time explaining that. It has nothing to do with inferiority or somebody's better than others because obviously he's taking Christ and God in the same sentence and though when he came here as a man, he was under the authority of God the Father, yet they're equal, right? They're equal in the triunity. So it's important that we understand God's plan. Jesus submitted to that, right? And, and so should we. And again, when God calls women in the church to recognize the headship of man, it is not because they're inferior or unequal in any way, because it's God ordains order and authority to be respected. And the bottom line is either a person respects it, God ordains way of doing things, or they, or they ignore it, and they just justify their actions by whatever they justify them, and they're, they're all over the place. I know... You know, Ethan was telling me, he was talking to one of the gals, uh, a gal that he knows, and, you know, uh, for some reason that subject popped up, right? You know, it popped up that, you know, she, she I don't even, I don't think he even brought it up, right? He, she just kind of mentioned that she's not going to go to any kind of church where this kind of thinking is, um, is in play, <laughs> right? Am I, am I saying that accurately? I think that's how you describe it to me. And so there are people like that. And, you know, they just, I don't know, it's like going to the salad bar. You pick and choose what you want, going to the buffet, right? You, I want wings, but I don't want, you know, turkey. I want mashed potatoes, and I don't want, you know, french fries or whatever. So you pick and choose what you want, and that put on your plate, and that's your relationship with the Lord. Well, it doesn't work that way. People do that, but it doesn't work that way. It's just God's ordained authority, and it's to be respected. I spent a lot of time camping out on this, but stick with me because I think it's important because it's essential for all the rest that we'll read here. But let me put another quote up here I think that's very good. It says, The idea of headship and authority is important to God. In His great plan for the ages, one great thing God looks from man is voluntary submission. This is what Jesus showed in his life over and over again. And, is, and this is exactly what God looks for from both men and women, though it will be expressed in different ways. And at the end of the day, that, that the Father wants a willing heart. That's how we come to him in faith. That's how we relate to him in our daily walk. And so that includes this as well. You know, we, we, he wants us to come voluntary. He's not going to twist your, your ear. He's not going to pull you 
you know, and force you and hold your face down in this, but, you know, he wants us to do that. And again, uh, spend a lot of time in this because if it's not understood, things get way out of whack. Again, remember, we're equal in salvation, but there is a responsibility with the husband. It's a wonderful and safe place for wives. Um, again, I think there are some great advantages that, you know, you can say, you know, when a person wants to talk to you about doing something or go somewhere or, or, or be a part of this or something, it's, okay, well, let me just check with, you know, my husband and see what's going on, right? Um, and, and it's just a good covering. And then if, you know, if you guys talk about it and the decision is, well, let's know, then, you know, it, it goes back to the husband, good or bad, right? Um you know, the Old Testament talks about this in Numbers chapter 30 when, when you're making, um, uh, word just went out of my head, when you're making a promise, when you're making, what is it? Oath. Oh, thank you, oath. <laughs> thank you, an oath or a covenant, right? You're making an oath, um, you know, it goes through this whole procedure, you make an oath, you need, if you're going to make, if you're going to promise God something, you're put an oath for whatever reason, and it was acceptable certainly in the Old Testament, uh, and I think there's some place for it here in the new as well. But, you know, great. You're, whatever you say, you got to do. You got to keep your word. God was very big on that. It was repeated over and over and over again. And if they didn't keep their word, boy, you know, it got them in a lot of trouble. And one of the things in that chapter of Numbers chapter 30 was, well, if a wife makes this oath, and then when her husband hears about it, if he says, well, honey, that was just kind of a, kind of a rash or maybe a really strongly emotional oath here, it's not a good thing for us to enter into that. He can basically say that, and then the oath would be negated. She didn't have to do it. Now, if he heard about it and didn't say anything, then she was obligated to, to obviously keep the oath. But there was that check and balance system. And, and the Lord does that for a reason. You know, there might be this emotional reaction or something that just got swayed emotionally. And he was able to help navigate that so that both of them, you know, obviously were moving in the right direction in the best way the Lord has for them when putting them both together. Um, again, um, the Lord, uh, the, the man does the same thing. Well, okay, you want me to do this? I need to check with the Lord first, right? I'm subject to him. Is this what he wants me to do? I, I'm subject to those things. Okay, Lord, you want me to move forward on this or not, right? It's the same thing. We, we have those same uh, way of doing things. It's, it's just the, the order of how things work. And we pray that the Lord to do his will. And again, uh, you know, the that doesn't make the husband more spiritual. It doesn't make him more important. It doesn't make him greater or better in any, in any of those terms that look in God's eyes. We're all the same. There's a number of scriptures that talk about us in our equality and our position before the Father and in salvation and who we are and all those things. It doesn't discount any of those things. But, you know, there, there is the rub because some, some gals, right, you know, their husband's spirituality is, you know, a thimbleful and, you know, theirs is a, a bowlful, right, if you would. And you think, well, I'm far more spiritual than my husband. How in the world can, you know, he lead me or follow God's design when his faith or his walk or his relationship is just, you know, this little shallow kiddie pool? And I feel like, you know, mine's deep. Um, well, again, it doesn't change that. It doesn't say that. Now, obviously, when it breaks Scripture, there's, 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 there's a case there. But in the end of the day... You know, there, there is that place to honor God and allow the Holy Spirit to move and work things out. God's in control still. 
You don't have to take the reins. And a man needs to step up as well. You know, if they become this passive person where they let, you know, their, their wives rule the house and you know, there's just a number of guys like that um, and they just let them do whatever, um, that's, that's wrong too. It's bad on them. And so it needs to, uh, and this is God's ordained order. Okay, so keep that in mind because as we go through this, uh, and again, I spent so much time on that because it's just the, the, the foundation of the issue. And now he's going to kind of go on to what was going on here in Corinth, this uh, tradition that, that was kept in the area here for a reason, and we'll talk about it here in verse 4, and it says this, Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. Which means Jesus, right? Because the head of, G of the man is, is Jesus, right? But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn or shaven, right? Uh, but if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for woman, but woman, uh, for the woman, but woman for the man. Okay, so he kind of goes into this, this thing here because of the proper authority, right? In verse four, it's inappropriate or wrong, right, for a man to pray with his head covered. Now, I don't want to you know, go into all the details of the Jewish tradition. They still cover their head. In fact, they do just the opposite. They have the, the yarmulke on. Um, and, you know, they're the ones that typically have their head covered, although if you really go to an Orthodox Jewish place, a lot of the women have their head covered as well. But, uh, but for sure, the men have to, okay? So it's just a completely the opposite of that. And I won't go into all that, what that means and everything, because that's like a whole other... Uh, road. But uh, anyway, I probably shouldn't even mention that, but it does happen today. But this idea of head covering, and we should probably talk about that, was important in many ancient cultures, right? Uh, to wear a head covering, and, and some, sometimes it's translated as veil. Um, so, you know, it, it, it could go either way. But it was a, as an important symbol in, in many cultures as being under authority or under the protection of another. You know, it's still true today. Um, uh, it still happens. Um, you know, here's some pictures of, you know, what some of them look like. When um, we went back to the Creation Museum a few years ago and visited the, you know, the Ark um, back there in Kentucky and in Ohio, or Indiana, I forgot where the Creation Museum was. Anyway, they're all really close back there, but I know the Ark was in Kentucky. I forgot what side of the river the Creation Museum. I think it was in Ohio. But anyway, uh, they're all really close. That's where all three of those states meet. But um, when we went in there, it was uh, you got people from all over the country, probably the world visiting, but typically a lot of people from the Midwest who live pretty close to that. And it was amazing to see how many of these gals were walked around with their head covered all the time. Looked like this, you know, not just in church, but everywhere. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there, it still goes on here in a lot of the very uh, Pentecostal churches today, 
uh, and some other traditional churches, uh, the older ladies will still probably cover their heads. But it still goes on today. It still happens. Uh, and again, there's some different reasonings, and mostly it has to do with their their uh, unusual interpretation of passages like this. Let's put it that way. But it still happens today. And, and this gives you some sense of what it's like. It can be this kind of veil thing, and some you know, have a little bit more you know, intricate veil systems, if you would. But I think that bottom uh, left picture gives you some sense. You see these gals kind of in normal clothes, but they kind of put this little veil over their head. Kind of picture that, okay? Maybe that helps you get some sense of what we're talking about here. Now, um, it, and the reason I put that picture up, because a lot of us can tend to think that it's like the, the burqas that the Muslims wear. That's completely different. That was really unheard of, even in the ancient cultures. That was completely came in with Muhammad and his followers later on. Uh, there's no really ancient tradition to any of those things other than when uh, you know Muhammad came on the scene and started putting those women to wear all those kind of dealy bobbers and everything. So that, that typically wasn't what they did in ancient times. That, that's, that, that's more modern times. So don't, don't think of that going back so far. It was something that he established and his predecessors. So... I mean, his followers that did later on. So so basically what he says here, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his man. In other words, because it would go against the order of God, he would be wrong. He, you know, he's just revealed that, uh, again, it would show that he is not... Um, uh, it, it would get the order of things... Uh, it, would, it would show to people that things were out of order. And then verse 5 and 6 talks about... You know, but if a woman prophesies or prays with her head uncovered, uh, she dishonors her head or her husband, if you would. Uh, and she's, it's like she would, it's like going to shave your head. It's, it's like showing up with your shaved head. That's the idea here. Um, it says, I'm not an authority. It would be an embarrassment. Let's put it this way, right? If, if you showed up and you, sh you know, and again, I'm not talking about, you know, cancer things or losing your hair, but it's like if a woman purposely, you know, a woman would, wouldn't purposely shave her head, although in our culture, I can't exclude that, but for the most part, let's put it that way, a woman just wouldn't shave her head. It, just, it would just be an embarrassment to her. In the same way, Paul's saying, listen, just as that is an embarrassment, not having your head covered is, is saying that you're not under this authority, her head, by refusing to cover it. You wouldn't walk around with a shaved head. You wouldn't do that. And again, um, having a shaved head is actually spoken about in, in Jewish culture and in Greek culture as had having your head covered. Uh, we know that in Numbers 5, when uh, there, was a, it, uh, there was a question about adultery, and you know it wasn't in the act, because it was in the act, it was a capital crime, that was it. So if it was just suspected, there was this procedure uh, that you would go through in Numbers 5, and you know, the, the woman would have to do these certain things, and one of the things was that she had to uncover her head. And, and some people even think, you know, there was some, obviously, some shaving involved in all that. So, you know, it was a big deal, my point is, to not have your hair, hair covered in that time, and particularly in the Greek culture, in the place that they were, in the time that they were, in the city that they were in, in Corinth. Um, again, all the married women would just... It, and I know this illustration breaks down, but it's just like wearing a wedding band, right? It's just this identification that you're, that you're married. 
in that culture, at that time, particularly in Corinth, it was just a sign of you being married. So you have your wedding band, it just identifies you as being married. In that same sort of sense, it was just like having this veil on your head. It was, uh, it was identified that you, were, that you were married, if you would. You were under authority, as we would put it here in this section here. And um, because those that didn't have a veil, you know, typically the women that walked around were either prostitutes or homosexuals. They were lesbians. That, was, that, that is the way they identified themselves. So either, you know, you have the veil, and if you, if you didn't have that head covering, then you were looked upon as a prostitute or, you know, a temple prostitute and those kind of things. Obviously, you can see why it's such a big deal, right? Uh, and, and particularly at that time, in that day. Uh, and, and he likes it to shame. You, you wouldn't shave your head and go out. That would be kind of, you'd be so embarrassed. Um, and that's not a new thinking, by the way. I don't know. Ethan and I were watching something on World War II, and you know, once the, the Nazis were kicked out of particularly France, but a number of places of Europe, but particularly in France, if you were a Nazi sympathizer, and if you were a woman, uh, I think they'd string up some of the guys, but the women, if they were not, they would grab them and literally shave their heads. Remember we saw that? They would, you'd see these women walk around shaved heads because that was a way to embarrass them because they were Nazi sympathizers, and it was forcefully you know, brought them into shame. And that's the kind of idea that Paul's talking about here. You wouldn't want to walk around with your head shaved. It would be humiliating. And so if you don't cover yourself in the church, it would be the same thing. Well, you might ask, okay, um, why? Uh, why else would I have my head covered? And he gives us the second reason why it should be this way. And this order should be in place. Verse 7 says, for, indeed, uh, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. And then verse 8 gives us some further explanation. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for woman, but woman for the man. Okay, okay. the first reason we saw was stated in verse 4, because... Obviously, there is this position that God has given him. You know, Jesus is the head of man. Man is the head of woman. Uh, God is the head of Jesus, right? We talked about that in verse 3. That's their position. Now, the second reason we're giving for this order and position of things is because God created Adam first. And he gave him responsibility over Eve. So now, the second reason for this authority and you know, the head covering, we'll, we'll get back to it, but, you know, the bottom line is there's this authority, and why was this established this way? He goes way back to creation here, before the fall, and he establishes the order uh, and the manner of man and woman hasn't changed since the very day of creation. And it is was established, you know, in the order of creation, and it hasn't changed. You know, uh, God ordained the differences and the different roles between genders, even in the church. Um, it doesn't matter what society thinks. It doesn't matter how things change over the years. If they swing this way on the pendulum or that way on the pendulum, you know, he is throwing all that out. It has nothing to do with what people think and how people act in any particular day and age. And what it was, he reaches way back to the beginning and says, this was the beginning of things and how God did it. And nothing has changed in these general uh, 
these gender roles. And let me make this very clear. There's two places he talks about these gender roles being in effect, and that's in church and in home. In your new life in Jesus, these are the roles, these have what's been established, and you know, it's it's for the church and at home. And I'll put this quote and then I will talk a little farther, but it says this, Paul uh, <clears throat> sought to restore order by reminding the Corinthians that God had made a difference between men and women, that each had a proper place in God's economy. There were also appropriate customs that symbolized these relationships and reminded both men and women of their correct places in the divine scheme. Paul did not say or even hint that the difference met inequity or inferiority. So we go back to that. There is this place. And again, these roles are in the home and in the church. It has nothing to do with the neighbors. It has nothing to do with, you know, at work. Uh, you know, if you work for a female boss or you're, you know, uh, you know, she's supposed to... No, that's not, that's not the, the sphere of, of what we're talking about in this order. It's to be in the church and it's to be in the home. All those other areas, it, it's, it, it doesn't apply. That's what we're talking about here. We're just going way back to the beginning. He's talking about the order of man and woman in the home and in the church. Okay, so let's just keep make sure that's clear. So we're told, again, it was the order of things. Uh, the first reason, it's because of the positions they have. The second reason that this it's like this, this order, is because it goes way back to creation. And then we're told in verse 10, for this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. And I don't know about you, and I go, well, the third reason is because of angels? You know, uh, uh, because of angels. Okay. Uh, so in, in, in this society, where wearing a head covering was uh, a sign of marriage, uh, the sign that you were under the authority of a man, and it does indicate the biblical order of things, uh, the third reason established for this order of things, again, all three things, but the headship of, of women in this case, because we're talking about veils, is the presence of angels in the church services. Now, we're not talking about having head covering it at, at home. We're talking about it in church. And this was a symbol of it. What you were doing is saying, I respect and I acknowledge in that day, in that age, in Corinth, I'm, I am respecting my authority, uh, and I'm, I'm showing that I respect that by how I go to church and what I wear to church here. And because angels are also part of our services. They're, they're here right now. And again, uh, they're watching, uh, and they are part of our lives. There, there is an order in God's economy, and angels perfectly understand this. And it's not just here, it obviously has to do with, with everything, but they're observing, they're watching, they're seeing, they know what's going on, uh, and, and, you know, and he's saying because of them, it, there, there is a reason for that. And again, um, he says we need to respect that and understand that. It has some uh, uh, spiritual realm influence as well. 
When, when you respect that, when we respect that, when I make Jesus my authority as a man, when a woman makes her husband as the authority as her, and when Christ does that to God, there, there is some you know, rejoicing and encouragement. I, I don't know, because it doesn't go any farther description than that, but it has an effect on angels. It has an effect on angels, and, and the Lord wants us to know that, and we should respect that. But, but again, as we, as we look through this thing, you know, it's clear this change of authority at home and at church, you know, uh, this is at that place. There is no general submission of women under men in society or any of that. Don't misunderstand that. Uh, it, it has a very specific spheres of, of, of place here. And, uh, uh, you know, at, at home and in the church. But sadly, our whole society just rejects this, right? The role between men and women it rejects the idea anymore of any sort of difference between men and women. As a matter of fact, we're working full steam ahead, particularly in California, you know, full steam ahead to take away any difference. As a matter of fact, you know, our culture is just headlong, just charging to make those roles and gender interchangeable and and moved around at a whim's notice. And I don't know if you read that. I haven't followed it because it just, some things are just so ridiculous. I don't even follow, but I Every once in a while, I'll catch some headlines or read a couple of things on that whole um, Ezra Miller. He's a movie star. Uh, he played like The Flash, and he did a couple other things. Uh, and he had some altercation. He went nuts a couple of times on some people. And they, anyway, they, they sued him because of his attitude or whatever. And then, you know, there was this big ruckus because he, they didn't use the proper pronouns. He, they, you know, they want to use they, um, us, them instead of he, you know, the pronouns. Anyway, I, I don't know about you, but I, we just went through this whole, I was going to say dumb, but I'll say dumb. But, you know, we have this, they want us, uh, working for the state, they want us, you know, our, our signature block at the bottom of emails and, and every official sport correspondence and everything to have these official blocks, which is right. We should have, everything should be uniform. It's been kind of loosey-goosey. But one of the things they want you to put in there is what pronouns you want to use. Do you want to call me him, he, um, what's the other one? His, him, he, his, yeah. Or do you want me to say them, them, they, us, or her, she, uh, her, her, she, I don't know. You, you know what I mean? You have to put, so how do you want to be referred to? I, this, I wanted to explode, okay? It's just like, you really, really, we get down to the point where I can't call you a she when you're a female, well, that might be offensive to him. I have to call him they, or maybe I should call him him. And, you know, it, it just shows you how crazy things have gotten and how far the enemy is moving society, in particular our neck of the woods, you know. California, far advanced on these ideas. The area we live in is the, uh, as a cherry on top of that, right? And it just shows how that's just leading in that direction and going in that direction. And it's just completely contrary with what Scripture says. You know, again, uh, they just, you know, you see these things. Uh, we were just visiting some schools with, with Ethan looking for them. And we, I noticed these on restrooms and at different, you know, a couple public universities. And, um, you know, you might see these things. 
I have, you know, you look at it and go, what in the world are they looking at? But it always just means like every kind of sexual identity you could possibly come up with. <laughs> you know, we were, you know, what, what, you know, no longer is it a, a men's bet restroom and women's restroom, right? It's, you see one of these things on the door, right? And you're like, uh, which one am I? Am I arrow? Am I a line? Am I a circle? Am I, a, you know, a T? What, uh, you know, uh, which one do I go into, right? And, uh, but that's what they've done, you know, to the simplest things of, uh, let's see, I, I should probably not get so crass and crude in this. So I, I will ignore that thought that just came in. But, you know, even going into the restroom, they're, 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 you know, and in everything. I guess my point is, without going and spending a lot of time on this, you know, it's just satanically inspired to break our society apart and to reject authority on any level and any recognition of authority at all. And, and the charge and the mantra from our society is to throw off any sort of authority. And you are praised when you do that, and you are shamed and ridiculed if you accept that. And you know that to be true. We'll see that continue to grow and grow and grow. If you want to say male, he, she, you know, it's just you are going to be you know, thrown under the bus and, and you're going to be looked down upon. And when you embrace just the opposite of this, you are lifted up and elevated. And so, again, so important um, that we understand this. As our society is moving in the opposite direction, that we don't go with the flow. We stand on what the Bible has to say. And that's why it's so important that we look at these verses and talk about them and spend time with them this morning so we know what God's will and God's plan is and we don't and we see the influence of the world and we hold them at bay because we want to do what our heavenly father has ordained for us because we know it's the best we know that's what's going to be the best and help in all situations as we respect and honor him and his way of doing things now if it wasn't clear Let's read verses 11 and 12. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor is woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, so man also came through woman. But all things are from God. So Paul makes it extremely clear here that men and women need each other. It's not this subservient role. It's not this idea that they're less it's not the idea that a lot of societies do today, Muslims being one of them, uh, the Jews really even today being one of them, uh, and, and a number of cultures in, in India and uh, Middle Eastern and all over where women are not really considered equal with men. You know, the women just got the right in Saudi Arabia to drive uh, not too many years ago. And I think they were able to drive as long as there was a man in the car. I mean, to drive by themselves, again, there's plenty of societies that make them second-class citizens, and that's not at all what the Bible teaches. You know, we have some people from India around here, but mostly when you go over in the Bay Area, you see them. But there's a few scattered in and around, and if they're an older couple, you'll see the woman walking back a few steps from the guy. You'll just see that. She's walking two or three steps behind him. They're going for a walk. You think, let's walk together, right? No, no, no. I always walk a couple steps behind him. I don't know how you have a conversation, but again, you know, it, it goes on. But that's not what the Bible talks about. The Bible's not, we need that. We're a partnership. You know, there's no place for you know, the boss man over a woman. No, it's an essential par partnership between a man and a woman. And neither can live without one another. So there's an order 
in the partnership that it may be fruitful and wonderful for both. Okay? So don't think it's like that. And people like to jump to that right away. It's not what it's saying. And he makes that very clear here. And then he'll finish up, and let's finish up with this, verse 13. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? And he kind of says, just think about it. You know it isn't right, that, you know, um, again. There shouldn't be any kind of, um, can I put it this way, you know, sex appeal to how you look or what you do or how you're acting. You know, just for yourself. You don't want to draw attention to yourself. You don't want to be the one in the church saying, well, I'm not going to wear my hair. I'm not going to show that my husband's here, you know. And, well, I want to be seen. I want my hair to be seen. You don't want to have that attitude. You know, just for, think about it on your own terms. Do you really want to stick out like that? Do you really want to be like that? Do you really want to have that heart? No, you, you don't want to stick out. It's like having your head shaved. You wouldn't go into church. Oh, man, I'm going to church today. A woman says, let me shave my head this morning. Maybe us guys do that, but not the gals, right? <laughs> right? And you see, you think about it. You wouldn't want to do that. And verse 14 says, Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is to her glory, for her hair is given for, to her for a covering. And he says, even in the natural order of things, we see the same kind of principle and effect. You know, long hair on the man, uh, you know, it's... Again, I grew up in the 60s, and some of us can remember the long hair was kind of a deal that we kind of all went through. But, you know, that was a short-lived fad, if you would. And, and really, it, it's never the same as, um, you know, what a woman's hair looks like. No matter if, even if a guy had long hair, you know, you, there was a difference between the two. And, and having long hair is not necessarily a sin, but for a woman, her hair is her glory, if you would. Her, her hair is just important to her, right? I mean, come on, even in today's society, right? Um, I don't know about you. I, I grew up a little different. Even my mom said something when we were down visiting her this week, you know, and Ethan was getting his hair ready, and, and I was thinking to myself, I just, you know, getting my hair ready wasn't even like on the menu, right? You just went like this or whatever, and you just went off, and we really didn't care about that kind of stuff. And, and typically, most guys are kind of like that, right? And, and, and again, but even if you want to fix your it's nothing like a woman, right? It, it's, it's their glory. I think it's just kind of innate in women. They want their hair to look nice, right? We see that. It's, it's kind of a natural thing. And, you know, it's been that way across the board. And, and what he's saying here in, in this whole thing is, you know, with this rule of thumb, if you would, what do you do? You know, don't let people, uh, don't confuse people um, by your hair, whether it's a guy or a girl, where it detracts from the message of the gospel or it causes a problem in church, right? You, you know, don't make it such that it's, a, this, it's, it's this big point of contention. You, you know, why do you want to focus on whether how you look really good or you look really bad or you're going to wear this or you're not going to wear this? You, you know, just, just think about it. You, you, don't, you don't want to do that. You don't want to confuse people and a guy, well, I want to have my hair just like, you know, a woman. And, how does that help them help the message of the gospel? Now, to have long hair is not a sin, but you, you wouldn't want it to be like a woman because then also they're going to look at you and they're going to say, wow, that guy looks like a, his hair looks like a woman. Or do you want them to say, wow, what's different about you 
buddy, you know, you're, you're different because of Christ, right? We don't want hair to be the message or how we look to be uh, what, you know, uh, we don't want anything to dis distract from the message we have. And we don't want to stand in opposition to the order that the Lord has given. In the end, again, authority is fundamental to recognize. We just need to remember that. And I, I go back to this old story you heard a million times, but I think it's important, you know, uh, for us to hear. You know, there was a, you know, a, a, a captain on the ship. He's out in the ocean. He sees a light up ahead, and he tells to the signal man, "Hey, signal, uh, you know, tell that light." that oncoming light, you know, you need to move 20 degrees to the west. And, uh, and you know, the signal comes back to the ship. Uh, no, you need to move 20 degrees to the east. And the captain's like, huh? who's this guy? Uh, hey, I'm a captain of a ship. You need to move 20 degrees to the east. And uh, the signal comes back from the light. I'm a second-class seaman. You need to move 20 degrees to the east. And the captain, his blood's boiling up at this point, and he says, I'm the captain of a battleship. Move 20 degrees to the west. And the signal comes back. I'm a lighthouse. Move 20 degrees to the east, right? Who's going to win on that? He thought he had it made, right? But the point of it is here, that was the order. You, you needed to follow that, or else he was going to, you know, obviously hit the rocks, Right. And, but you know, we get that pride of the battleship captain sometime. No, you, you need to make the move. You need to make the move. You need to make the move. And rather than saying, no, this is the order of things, and I'm going to do what the order of things has to say to do. And he finishes it up with this. If anyone seems to be contentious about this in verse 16, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. So here's the result of it all. Nobody should get divisive or argue about this because th there's really no doctrine about this. So you might say, well, why don't we have head, our head covers today in the church or in, in, in our church in particular or more, most evangelical Christian churches? But again, he says this is not, you know, as far as the covering, it's not to meant to be, you know, wearing this on your head. It's not to be meant to be a contentious thing where you divide everything apart, although churches do that these days. They would look down upon a woman that didn't walk around like those pictures I showed you, you know, with the head covering on there. But he said, you know, this is, there's no doctrine here. It's just, you know, particularly to their day and age and their custom and their city, if you didn't wear that head covering, you'd be, you'd be saying, you'd be giving, a, demonstrating a whole different picture and message to the society and to the people in the church at that day that went to Corinth. And again, remember, this is kind of all wrapped around in the, you know, all of us have, you know, a Christian liberty, but are we going to do things in our liberty and our freedom to do things that is going to help with the testimony of Jesus Christ? Or are we going to do something that we just demand our own rights and our own way to be recognized? We need to be guided by the principles laid down to glorify God and not to offend others. And in that day and age, if you didn't have your head covered in the Corinthian church, you would either be, a, 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 you know, you would looked at in society if you were just walking around the streets as a prostitute or, or something else, something else, you know, different than that. And again, we need to remember that God has given us the order. He's given things uh, uh, that is best for us. And it's not 
based on our opinion or how we feel, but in trusting him and, and, and doing what he calls us to do. And we always know that when we listen and follow what he has called us to do, things always are for the best. We know, you know that's always what's going to work out to be the best. And it's not the easiest most of the time, but it's always the best. And there's just that peace that we receive from it and that uh, patience and that love uh, all that we re- by respecting the way um, you know, our, our Heavenly Father um, has laid down the order of things. And so we leave it there this morning and we'll pick it up next time in verse 17 and continuing on with some of these problems and contentions that they faced in the Corinthian church as we face them today. Father, again, Lord, we, we do uh, thank you for these verses, Lord, though they're, again, these chapters that we're going to be coming up to just are, are, I don't know, in my mind, pretty plain and pretty clear and pretty simple, Lord, um, and, and it, yet I, I don't understand the whole doctrines built around, you know, moving it to one end or the other or dismissing it in some way, um, Lord, uh, uh, you have an order of things, and that's the important thing we need to, to see about this. And uh, we need to respect that. And you've given us uh, plenty of reasons why. Um, and, and again, Lord, we, uh, just like in anything else, uh, are we going to respond uh, to that? And, and it just has as much to do with men as women. Are we as men going to follow what Jesus, you are our authority over us, call us to do? Um, are, are we going to do that? Or are we going to do things our own way and think the way we think and act the way we want and do what we think is best? Or are we going to just follow your leading and your way? Uh, and that's just true with all of it. And of course, you set the example, Jesus, by how you obeyed uh, and came under authority of the Father when you were here. And, and that's the example set for men and women. And we want to be those people that live up to that. And so we ask that you would help us and draw us near. And Father, uh, again, just be those that are voluntarily and willingly submitting to your plan and your way, Lord. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.